On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Mike Fortune and I, the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasting, we're talking about Prince Philip, we're talking about taxes, we're talking about Canadiana, we're talking about Vimy Ridge, so many other things. Here we go. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Mike Fortune, co-host of the Hamilton Network on Cable 14, a guy we love having on the show whenever we can get him. He's a busy man, but he joins us tonight. Mike, how are you? Scott, hey, I'm doing really well. It's been a while. Nice to catch up with you and the listeners, my friend. Well, you as well. And I got to ask you a question. Did you go to college or university? No, I did not. You did not. Okay. No. Well, your problem was that you did (laughs) not live in the States in 2021. And I'll tell you what I mean. I saw this story and I thought this was the greatest story of the week. And I thought we would lead off with this tonight. The University of Kentucky has this very hard to get into course called Clinical Leadership and Management in the College of Health Sciences. I'm not entirely sure what exactly it teaches or what it would lead to as far as a career, but only something like three dozen people get admitted to that course every year. And the University of Kentucky is a big university, so it's it's a pretty exclusive course to get into. Anyway, uh, slight, and this is so typical of a year with COVID that something would go wrong, slight technological snafu at the University of Kentucky this week or in the last few weeks, and over 500,000 people accidentally received admission notices saying they'd been admitted to the program. (laughs) It's a lot of happy people right there, and I guess the university is just scrambling now, eh? Wow, that's a a huge, uh, huge error. Well, including... The story talks about people all over the states who are receiving admission notices who never forget applying for the course. They'd never even applied to the University of Kentucky. And I should run out and check my mailbox. You might get in. You might get into this very exclusive course. I'll tell you the reason I asked because when I went to university, and I'm I'm really hoping that for this particular moment anyway, my mom and dad are not listening because this will just bring up bad memories. My marks in high school, Mike, were. Well, let's say I really liked everything about high school except for the school part. I mean, I did sports and I did band and I did drama and I did clubs and I did yearbook and I did literally anything to not give me enough time to study. So my marks were, hmm, let's put it this way. My marks today would not even get me a thank you for applying note from a university. Fair enough. I know where you're coming from. I thankfully... One of the courses I applied for, which was journalism, uh, they spent more time, they were more interested in an in-person interview. And so I, I, I at least got to the interview portion and even better, the interviews were done in this small journalism building where all the classrooms or all the offices were just off this one main classroom. And many of the interviews, they didn't shut the door while they were doing these interviews. So I could hear many of the questions being asked before I got called in and better yet, I could hear the people who came up with really good answers. (laughs) Just goes to show they'll take anyone in journalism. No, I'm I'm completely kidding. But you know what? You, you utilized another skill and and like you, I was the same. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Lots of sarcasm. But when I was in high school, like I was getting 49s and they were giving me like a 51 just to pass me and get me out of the class because I used high school, Scott, as my social outlet. Hence See? why I can basically talk to anybody in any situation and build relationships and build trust. And that comes down to emotional intelligence, which I think goes far more beyond nowadays than what my mark was in grade 10 science. Who really truly cares? But if you have that emotional intelligence and it's a hot topic right now, yes, yeah, school's important. But man, oh man, I, I did my learning by hanging out in the hallways at the overhang, doing what I needed to do, right? Well, uh, so thankfully, those people who were accepted into medical school who looked after us, who look after us and do surgery on us, had more than emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah, by all means. I to would, be a doctor, a surgeon, a lawyer, you do need the schooling, no doubt about it. But look, you know, to get into media, to get into sales, what I've been known for, you know, I, 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 didn't, need, I didn't need to know what the... the uh, the, the, the element table was in science. It wasn't interesting me. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, I'd love to know about how many people either got into university and didn't succeed because they had great marks in high school, but all they did was 
learn the basics just enough to get marks, but didn't really learn anything? Or how many people didn't get in who would have been great at something because their marks weren't high enough? But yeah, hands I, down, there's so many talented individuals out there that didn't get that because because of a mark or because of a, a bit of a break. And look at universities now into COVID times. You can basically, I think universities are going to take anybody and everybody because now you don't necessarily have to worry about class sizes. Now we can just do everything online. So where's that bar going to change to get in to college or university at this point? I, I think you may not be wrong on that. And I was going to say, I think you may be right. Um, I tried to pull it back a little because I, I think, you know, universities probably are not going to want to throw the doors open to everybody or else, you know, that it loses some of the exclusivity and some of the excitement or the, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the high class thing, the status is the word I'm yeah. looking for. Thank you. Of getting into a certain university. I mean, McMaster doesn't want to admit just everybody because then the status of getting into McMaster goes down, but you're right. I could see certain classes going up by double. If you don't have for to have sure. hands-on stuff, why yeah, not? And, and- and if you're right on the cusp, you know, that bar, I think, is, is going to be moved. And let, let's bring in a few more people because we also know, as everyone is hurting right now, universities, they need the additional uh, revenue generation coming in. And if they can get people to go to school online and we don't have to see them, let's take the money and let's see what we can do to help. Well, them maybe that's what the University of Kentucky was really doing. And they just said that it was a <laughs> computer error. But I love this story that people who didn't even one. apply were being accepted. I would have, listen, I, as soon as I got that note, if I was a high school kid, I would have sent my check before the ink was dry and said, hey, I'm <laughs> locked in now. You, I, you've got my money. There's nothing I can do about it. But I love it. I don't yeah. even know what this program is. I, I don't know if I would have been good or not. Probably not. Not with my marks. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, Mike, one of the things that I I think people misunderstand in this society now, it's okay to disagree with someone. It really is okay to disagree. That doesn't mean that the person you disagree with is a an idiot or an evil person or a bad person. You simply disagree. We've somehow lost that ability to wrap our heads around that these days. It's funny that you've brought that up because my buddies and I, we were actually having a Zoom call about that just this past week. You know, just three, four guys. We're all buddies. And we were talking about how we can be open and honest with each other and we can have different views and opinions. But at the end of the day, we're still buddies and we we don't get offended. We don't get upset. We respect each other as, as individuals, and you know what? We let things roll off of our back. I've said this, I think, a hundred times on your show. As a, a society, we have become so hypersensitive about anything and everything that if, if you're not on the same page as someone, and listen, you know, the one thing this whole COVID multiple lockdowns, quarantines has taught me, Scott, is even to take the foot off the gas even more and just to let roll, let more and more roll off my back. And listen, you have your thoughts, I have mine. Hey. It, we agree to disagree and we move on with lives. That's how I look you at know, it, man. You know, when, you know when that happened a lot more? When's that? Now, this is my segue. That back in 1917, like all, <laughs> over 100 years ago. And okay. you know why I say 1917? Because why? today, today is the anniversary, as many people will remember once I say it, even if it wasn't brought to their attention earlier. Today is the anniversary of the beginning of the Battle of Vimy Ridge, which yeah. many people say with good reason, I think, that that was one of the defining moments in Canadian history. That was maybe the first real moment. There are probably others, but the first real moment that people in this country really felt Canadian and felt like they were separate from the British Empire and really felt like they could do amazing things based on what the Canadian soldiers did at Vimy Ridge. And, you know, I got thinking about this today. That one absolutely is on a pedestal, and I don't think anyone would ever argue that that is not right there in the Mount Rushmore of Canadian moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else would you put in there? What other things or events or moments or people or whatever, what else would you put up on that Mount Rushmore of Canadianness as Ooh. the things that made Canadians feel really, really Canadian? Oh my gosh, uh, you got me here. Well, let's go to sports. I, and again, I wasn't around for this, but I, I've, I've followed and watched the game enough times. Paul Henderson's goal, I think that made yep. everyone feel truly, truly Canadian. Sure, and uh, I mean, you can oh. throw a bunch of sports ones. I mean, one of the funny things is a lot of the ones that came to mind, now maybe it's because, you know, I write sports, but a lot of the ones that came to mind were sports and maybe that's because it's an obvious thing that people cheer for and rally around you got paul henderson you got yep. Sidney crosby's goal 
You've got you have, Gretzky you have the to Blue Lemieux Jays winning their first World Series and second. Joe Carter and hitting the home run. Back uh, back. Ben Johnson winning until he didn't win, but Ben Johnson winning for sure was one of those moments for at least three days. Uh, Donovan Bailey one. winning. So to your uh, point, be, be, again, they're all sports related because sports truly does bring people together. We, you know, I, I don't think we'd be having this conversation if there was no sports in the world. What political moment brought us all together and made us feel great that we're Canadians? You can't say the same about politics, but it, it seems to be all sports moments. I wouldn't even go as far as entertainment and singers because sports is something that you can truly invest yourself in. Look at what the Raptors did, you know, winning their first championship. The Raptors right? would be one of them, yep. I, I mean, there was one political moment, although I put a little hashtag beside it because I don't know that it made everybody feel Canadian. It made all people who probably like to be Canadian feel Canadian. That was, what year was it now? I can't remember when we had the referendum in Quebec, the most recent one that was very, very close while Jean Chrétien was prime minister. You know, those who were voting to leave Canada probably didn't feel very Canadian, but they didn't probably feel very Canadian to begin with. Everyone else in the country, I think, at that moment felt pretty good about the country. The other one, and the very obvious one that I would put up there, is Terry Fox. Um, okay. And the Marathon of Hope, which, you know, is, if that's not, I mean, we'll, we'll put the Battle of Vimy Ridge at number one, just because of the, how important it was above everything else. It was big, but it was also, it changed, it potentially changed the history of the world. But Terry Fox, I would say might be number two, even ahead of Paul Henderson. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I got some fond memories uh, when when that was going on, and uh, as as kids, you know, watching that on television and following it, and you know, for many people, remember, it, it, it his run didn't get off to a good start start in the East Coast. It wasn't until he kind of came into Ontario that he picked up all this momentum, and and uh, again, I was too young to truly experience it, but you know, I've heard stories from my parents that you know th- this was kind of a cool moment. Oh, hundred percent, and and. It's amazing that a guy who, I mean, it's hard to imagine now that it's been 41 years. In fact, 41 years Monday is when he started. It is hard to imagine that it's been that long. And yet every kid, thanks to the Terry Fox run, but every kid today knows who Terry Fox is. Not every kid knows about the Battle of Vimy Ridge. Not every kid knows about Paul Henderson. Not every kid knows about Mary Lemieux. Not every kid even knows Primate. Well, they would know probably Sidney Crosby, but that's recency bias. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these things, Joe Carter, maybe not. That's the one that everybody in this country knows about still. And you have to give so much credit to the foundation and the organization, but in return also to the educators. You know, they plan these Terry Fox runs and and walks and, and the conversation is always talked about, which I think is really cool. Yeah, we got to go. We got to take a break. But yes, and, and the other thing is that I mean, obviously, the tragedy is that Terry Fox died so young when he did. the The flip side of that, and it doesn't make it a good thing, is that one of the things Terry Fox and, and probably would have lived his entire life and been, you know, a, a wonderful role. But there was never a chance for even a misspeak or a word taken out of context or something that somehow tarnishes the reputation or the legacy. And I'm not saying he would have done that, but look, even Wayne Gretzky has made a few missteps along the way, not very many. And he has, his reputation is certainly not sullied or, or tarnished, but you know, it, it's, it, it happens when people, when heroes die very young, we remember them in their moment of greatness, in their moment of glory. And that is certainly Terry Fox. There is not a, a, a stain on his legacy whatsoever. And that is a very, very good thing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. And Mike, yesterday evening, we had Bill Robson, who's the CEO of the C.D. Howe Institute on. And he raised an idea that I thought was absolutely brilliant. I thought this was one of the most inspired ideas I'd heard in a long, long time. And it was not that I like raising taxes. I'm not a fan of raising taxes, but he said we should be because the federal government's coming out with their budget. Let me just back up. They say that they're coming out with their budget and they're already saying they're going to be spending an additional $100 billion on stimulus packages, which some people are saying, we don't need this. Anyway, his idea was, if you, the government should roll out various programs, a national pharmacare program, a national daycare program, whatever, and say, this is what it's going to cost, and this is the percentage point of GST increase that will be required to pay for it, do you still want it? And allow people to vote on that. 
So, you know, the National Pharmacare Program might cost an extra five points on your GST. So it goes from five to 10%, 5% to 10%. We can have Pharmacare, but you're going to have to pay for it every time you buy something. What do you think of that idea? So I, I don't know enough about it, but in regards to, like, you're almost saying, like, vote on it like, as a referendum type thing? I guess you throw it out there as part of a, uh, I mean, you could look, you could do it as a referendum in the federal election, in the next federal election, Okay. you put it on the ballot and say, here is this, here is this, here is this, and people can vote. And the beauty to me of this is it's not then just hitting the middle class because, you know, we always say we'll tax the rich people, but it's the middle class that get hit with these big tax increases. This means what you buy, you're going to pay for. Everyone is going to contribute depending on your level of purchasing so people who don't have as much money, who don't buy as much stuff, they're not going to contribute as much. People who buy something enormous, they're going to pay a lot more. And then, so you know if, what? If, 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 I, if I've worked my tail off and I'm a multimillionaire, why would I want to vote for something like this and have to pay more um, than someone else? Um, I, I'm thinking if I'm in that upper 1%, I'm not going to like something like this and I'm not going to vote for that. No, but there's an awful lot of people who aren't in that upper 1% who would be able to vote if they want it and make it happen. What I like about this is this is an equitable tax and it's essentially in some degree a voluntary tax because you pay only with what you buy. And therefore, if you don't want to, if you don't spend a lot of money or you don't buy a lot of stuff, you don't have to. But if you are someone who spends a lot, you are going to contribute a lot. And what if you're someone that spends a lot and you put it all on credit and, and, and you, you just, you just can't keep paying this stuff off, but you, you have a hoarding problem or you, or you have an addiction to, well, we have that anyway, or something like that. We have that anyway. I mean, I don't think that adding GST to that is going to change much, but in the break, I was just mentioning what we're coming in with and Ben, you were, let me just bring Ben in for one second. I rarely do this for this, but Ben was saying uh, he had a great example of what this is like. Go ahead, Ben. What you could do is you'd have this scenario where it would end up being kind of like when you buy a car, they'd have different trim levels almost. You have, okay, if you want the extra sunroof, you want the extra remote start or whatever, okay, it'll just end up costing this. If you want this extra step, it'll be this. You want the super premium edition supreme? Well, then it's just going to cost this bit more. Yeah. And and why I like that, Mike, is because, first of all, I'm very concerned. I know some people poo-poo this. I am very concerned with where our debt is going in this country, that our kids and our grandkids and their grandkids are going to be paying for this in a significant way with enormous taxes down the road. And so somehow we have to make some decisions rather than just dumping bushelfuls of money everywhere. I think we have to make some decisions to say, if we want this now, we pay for this now. We don't put everything on credit and leave it for future generations. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I guess I'm just having a, a difficult time wrapping my head around it in regards to, so, okay, I see what you're saying with the upper class. I see what you're saying with the middle class. But but what about those that are, are sitting at that $24,000, uh, just hovering around that poverty line and 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 how does it help them get out of that? Like I'm just I, I'm I'm maybe I'm missing something here, Scott, because I I didn't read the article. I didn't sorry I didn't listen to your show last night. Uh, I would need a lot more information, I think, before I fully understood and was able to come up with more of an educated answer. I'm just kind of rambling now. So well, no, but I mean, here's the thing: is many of the programs that are being talked about would be benefiting those who are at the lower end of the economic spectrum. So like and, if, if, if I vote for this, let's say I'm in the lower, in, in the, uh, the, the, the lower echelon here in my annual income and I vote for this, does this mean I'm paying less tax if I go to Walmart or food basics or whatever the case is? Not necessarily, but you would have more. I mean, let's say we're using an example of universal basic income and we vote on whether this should be coming in. We, we can do this, but here's what it's going to cost on your GST. And the, you know, and if you're saying, well, what about the people then who have to pay more who on GST now who are at the lower level of income? Well, yes, but they're also being given a universal basic income now, which should help with that. I, I, I look, I just believe that we need to find ways now to not be constantly buying stuff that we can't afford and just dumping it on future generations. If we want stuff now, we should 
be talking about it and paying for it now. And, and, and I, hey, listen, that's how I kind of leave, live my life. If I don't have the money, I don't get it. I don't even get it on credit. Um, listen, are, are there other countries, there must be other countries out there that are doing far better than we are when it comes to this situation. Why can't we imitate or copy something that another country is doing who has shown success and who's been able to keep their debt load down? Is that not a possibility as well? Well, find that country that has its debt load way down and that doesn't have not voluntary, but involuntary taxes through the roof, right? So, so the, the, again, the reason I like this is because you, you will be taxed on what you spend. And if you are someone who spends a lot, you will be taxed a lot more. And if you don't participate in that, then you can keep your taxes down. It, there what, is a level of control of sudden, with but, this. But if you want to keep the economy going and all of a sudden, wait a second, I'm going to be spending more. I'm going to be paying more tax. Maybe I'm going to put a halt on my uh, on my contributions to the economy because I'm like, well, maybe I don't really need this after all. And I think COVID's actually proven that. It's actually yeah, shown we, we, that there's a, we can actually go without a lot of stuff. Except I think that I, when we get to run, I, I don't believe that that is sustainable. I think that as soon as the doors are opened again, people are going to spend their brains out. I don't think, I think we have a culture that spends by default and we'll just say, oh, well, then I guess I'm, you know, it's a user fee, essentially. And by the way, you can comment on any of this stuff. Radley at 900CHML would love to hear from you on your thoughts. Agree, disagree, who was who should be on the Canadian Mount Rushmore, whatever. All of those things. Radley at 900CHML. Send me a note. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML. Prince Philip died, as you heard late last night or early this morning. 99 years old. 99 years old. And, you know, we don't know, honestly, a whole lot about him. We know a ton about the Queen. We know we know about Prince Philip, obviously. But certainly, he played the role of, they use the official term, consort, husband, but in the shadows, member of the royal family, better than I think almost anyone possibly could have. It's, I, I got to believe it's pretty hard to be married to someone that famous, that important for that long and remain that much in the shadows when the person you're with, and it's not because he's a guy, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, when the person you're with is in the spotlight, all that, that would be tough. That would be, it would require a decision to not have much of an ego, I would think. Uh, Mike Fortune, joining us from the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. I mean, do you, are you impressed by that part I mean, maybe you're not, maybe you think it would be a very easy thing to do. I just, of all the things that he did, and I'm not suggesting by any stretch, he was a perfect guy, but I admire his ability to sort of seemingly anyway, put his ego aside and say, you be out front. I can just hang here in the back. Yeah. You know, he certainly played, uh, played the role. Well, how difficult was it for him? Who truly knows? Um, I, I don't know if I could do that. I kind of like to be out there and talking and saying my piece to your point, it does take a certain personality. Um, listen, I, I'm probably not going to win any fans over with this, but I'm not a whole. I'm not a big fan of the, the whole monarchy and, and, and what it's supposed to do. And, and I, I think it's time we almost look at dissolving it personally. Um, but in regards to Prince Philip, you know, um, listen, 99 amazing years. Um, what a life! Um, and God bless him for being able to to really take that back seat, I guess. I, you know what I got? My first thought when I heard he passed away, obviously it's sad and you're, you know, I mean, for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, I'm not a monarchist, but I'm not an anti-monarchist. I, I think the queen, for example, has been as phenomenal a head of state as anybody in the world ever has. When you consider the changes and, and, and I mean, she has just done what she is supposed to do and rarely, I mean, there's been some because again, no one's perfect, but rarely made a misstep. And so, you know, for the, for that generation of the Royal family, it's like, you know what, it's sad for her. But the first thing that kind of came to my mind was, huh, I wonder if Harry and Meghan are going to be going back to Britain for the funeral and how that's going to go. Well, you would think you would, Harry would be there for his grandfather's funeral. Who truly knows? Um, I, I think when it comes to, people passing away i would hope that you can kind of put all your issues aside and be respectful and and get along but uh listen the 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 monarchy walls have started to show some cracks over the last little while and i think megan is a big part of that whether you like it or not uh, things are being exposed and uh i give harry a ton of credit 
for sticking by Megan and uh, not bowing down to uh, protocol that uh, has been instilled in him and not wanting Megan to have to go through. Uh, well, he lived through it with Princess Diana, right? Like, I can't imagine his, his childhood. I don't think it was the greatest. So I would hope that we can put bygones aside. The Queen can put her ego aside. And it's like, Harry, uh, Megan, we want you here and pay your last respects. I'll be interested. This could be the first ever funeral where there is booing from the public. <laughs> <laughs> because now booing if, for who for the queen or for no Harry no 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 not for the queen and not for prince philip uh maybe like depending so first of all probably the best possible thing that this is covid time because and and the fact that allegedly prince philip said he didn't want a big deal made of this so they're not having a big public funeral because of covid that's probably for the best because could you imagine right now a procession where if they follow the same way that Prince or the Princess Diana did it, where they walk down the street, where Prince Andrew, who's now, you know, his reputation is shot because of the young girl's story with um, Jeffrey what's his Epstein. name, Jeffrey Epstein, th- that he doesn't want to show his face probably too much in public. And could you imagine Meghan or Harry walking down the street? And uh, this is the the timing for this. There's no good time for a member of any family to pass away, probably. But the timing of this, when they can't have a big public outpouring, out big public event, probably very, very good. Yeah, and uh, the, I've all I've often thought too. You know, when the Queen does pass, how will that also be handled? Because you know, I know she's also up there as well. And you know, I, there's a lot of animosity, and you know, you you hear things that kind of sneak out. How much you believe with? social media, so on and so forth. But again, I I know she's loved. I know people love the Royals, but I truly do believe it, it's kind of an iron fist behind the scenes there. And uh, it's got to be difficult to be part of. I, I think that when the Queen passes away, it will be the single biggest public event in British history. Honestly, it, it really will. British because... history. But will anyone here in Canada truly care? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and Mike, I mean, again, the queen, whether you love the Royal family or don't love the Royal family, the queen has been a model of what a head of state is supposed to be. And once again, not perfect. There have been some things, but you know, considering how long has she been 60 years, is it 60 years she's been in power in rule? I, I think there will be a lot of people here that will really be upset by that, really sad by that. And I think in Britain, it will blow away. I think it'll even blow away Princess Diana's funeral. I do. Just because, here's the thing, we got to run. Every single person, almost every single person who's been alive in Britain, not everyone, but almost everyone, will have never been alive without Queen Elizabeth as their monarch. Which is, you know, it's, it, it will really be, when we talk about end of an era, that is the very definition of it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We had a discussion last night on the show about the LRT. It is back in front of city council. They are talking about it again. Some councillors seemingly their position is softening. But I want to ask you just one very simple question. Are you and I in our lifetime going to see the end of the LRT discussion or is this thing going to literally go on forever? No, we, we, we will see shovels in the ground, I believe at some point. It's just, it's unfortunate that it has uh, been, been pushed along uh, from one council term to another. It's something that needs to be done. It's going to help our city grow. You know, you, you look at, uh, you look at how long it took the Red Hill, to get underway and then finally built. I think that was what a, a 25 or maybe even longer 40 year project. This will happen. It will happen in our lifetime and I do believe we will see some changes in the upcoming election in a year and a half from now and I think you're going to see some very progressive councillors who will get on board and ensure that this thing also does happen if it doesn't get signed on the dotted line beforehand. I saw, was it a couple weeks ago, a month ago maybe, you know, uh, Joe Mancinelli, head of Leuna, you know, he, he's, he's really pushing for things like this. And when you get those power play people involved, yes, I know he doesn't represent council in the city and all that, but when you get those wheels talking and people behind the scenes, things start to, I think, pick up some steam. And I do believe this will happen. Well, and that's, and honestly, it's not Joe Mancinelli personally, but that's kind of why this is back in front of city council, because council is now saying, listen, we're hearing that the federal government is involved in discussions about this and the province and third party private interests. 
everybody seems to now be in on this except for city council and they're talking about changing things or whatever how come we have not been talked to about this and uh, you know i see their point other people might say look city council has talked about this enough good cut them out and let's make something happen but when i said that you know it seems as though some councillors are beginning to soften there it's very clear that some are now saying well wait a second you know we're starting to think about the bus rapid transit or other things that could extend to the rest of the city i don't think it's as done a deal that this is going to be shovels in the ground and maybe you know maybe i'll be proven wrong in time but i'm not sure that it is that done a deal at this point i i think the discussion still has a lot of juice left in it there's definitely a lot of uh juice in it to use your term no doubt but i think the the understanding that we got to really start to expedite some of these decisions sooner than later. And again, now I'm saying that it's been going on for how many years, but we're, we're getting to that point now where, okay, enough truly is enough now. And we have to come together. And this is one thing that can bring our city, move our city forward, so on and so forth. And, you know, as we continue to grow and urban sprawl and high rise, and, and what are we going to do with all this stuff? It, it has to be at least one of the building blocks, part of the foundation uh, of a city as we continue to develop and grow uh, both uh, through housing and through individuals moving into our city and, and watching our population grow. Uh, look, I, I think that public transit for sure is a is a, an issue, and, and that I've heard so far, none of the councillors even who sound like they may be maybe softening a bit. None of them are saying let's not spend on public transit. The The problem, I guess, and why this is back in front of council and why council feels like they need to still be involved is because they agreed to one LRT of a certain length and now we're hearing about something else and they're saying, well, some of us, some of them didn't vote. They specifically didn't vote for a shorter version. They voted for the full length thing or nothing. Uh, look, this thing is a mess. And it's been a mess for a while. And I just, uh, Mike, I started this by saying, will we be alive to see an end to this? It was a slight exaggeration, but I don't think we're anywhere near the finish line on this. I really don't. I think that this discussion is going to be going on for a long, long time because even if, even if it gets to the point where the government says, okay, we're ready to go, council is going to want us have a say. And unless it is the original Eastgate Mall to um, McMaster or wherever... Uh, I think they're going to be talking about it for a lot longer. I'm, I'm hearing another radio station going on. I'm hearing two voices here. I, I hear where you're coming from, Scott. Yes, um, I think we do need the longer version for sure. I, I think we need it right to go to Eastgate. There will be some things that need to be worked out. Um, but again, I think the federal provincial government, I think they will, and they do see what is going on here. It's been a hot-button topic. And this is something that will grow and we will, we will see it before you and I are six feet under. <laughs> we got one more minute left here, Mike. Let me ask you this. The last municipal election was couched as a referendum on LRT because it was Vito Scrow who was against the LRT and Fred yep. Eisenberger who was for it. Yep. I still say that the mistake was made a long time ago by not having an actual literal referendum on this because there are still, there are other issues involved in a mayoral race that don't necessarily have to do with the LRT. And I think we could have had a very clear cut focused discussion and decision. If we had simply at one point said, we are going to put this on a referendum on the ballot and let's once and for all, clearly no other issues. Let's settle this. And I, was, was there not discussion to, for that as well? Like, I don't know even if council would even be able to come to an agreement on making sure that it was on the ballot. Good point. I mean, great point. But it would have absolutely cleared things up and set a direction for the city, and it would have got rid of, I think, a lot of what's been going on. But we didn't do it. And I don't know. It may be too late now. The next election is going to be a year and a half from now. If we're still talking about this then, if we still don't have an answer then, we absolutely should be putting this on the municipal ballot to get it decided once and for all. So there's no more discussion about this. Cause I think we got to run. I think people are really, really getting tired of this. I, I agree with you a thousand percent, Scotty. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, let me, let me tell you this, by the way, I want to get into some other stuff, but I came across this and Snopes, you know what Snopes is? It's that online, um, website that that looks into hoaxes or not hoaxes and says whether things are real or not yep um 
So I'm only going off what Snopes says here, and it says this is real. So I'm assuming that it's correct, and I'm assuming this is real. It's a fascinating thing. There was an Archie comic, an Archie Digest from February 1997. Betty number 46 magazine, for those who have the entire series at home, go look it up. It is a, there is a page in here and the title is Betty in high school, 2021 AD and Betty's high school in 2021 AD is her sitting in front of a computer with a camera pointing at her and what her dad saying, they never have to carry books to school. They never have to worry about the weather. And she says, excuse me, folks, class is about to begin. And she is doing a class by video camera in 2021 AD. Whoever draws these things, genius. They are the soothsayers. Hey, hand, so, hands down. And, and you know what else you can also use for reference and some fact-checking when it comes to that stuff? The Simpsons have been able to nail a few things as well. Absolutely, they have many things. Now, they've had 22, 23 years of 25 or 30 episodes every year. They're bound to get a few things right. But yes, they have. They've done very well on a bunch of them. There you go. One Stu, more thing. I'll have to check that website out more. I, I, I was aware of it, but I didn't realize it was that, uh, that down to the point. That's a cool one. Thanks, Scotty. One more thing just from last hour. If you weren't listening last hour, if you were, you'll know what we're talking about. If you weren't, we were talking about this. Uh, today is the anniversary of the beginning of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. And we were talking about what sh who should be on the Mount Rushmore of Canadiana, the most Canadian things. Not necessarily a person. It could be an event like Vimy Ridge. Uh, somebody wrote in, we got a bunch of them. We talked about a number of them, Mike. But one other person, one we didn't mention, Ken Taylor, who got the hostages out of Iran um, should be on there. That's a really interesting one. That's a good one by Greg. Yep. So uh, another interesting one. All right, Mike, let me ask you this. I saw somebody post this on, it was either on Twitter or it was in LinkedIn. I don't know where I saw it the other day. And many, 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 many people responded to this, many of them in agreement and I want to know if you agree or you disagree. After you answer, I'll tell you where I stand on this. Their point was, there's, what they said very clearly was, you should never work for free. You should never, now, not we're not talking about volunteering at a charity or something. For, for the line of work you're in, if you're a young person, if you are an intern, if you're something, you should never work for free. You should demand pay for everything you do or it diminishes your value and makes you worthless and you're better than that. What do you think about that idea? So, so volunteering, gaining experience, giving not back volunteer. To the well, community. And, and, well, and again, just to be, yeah, not, not a charity thing. So we're, we're, this is a professional thing. This is your line of work or your career you're hoping to go into. Well, listen, you know, I, I do believe you have to start somewhere. If you're a 45, 40 or 50 year old professional, I agree with that. But you know what? If, if you're a young kid out of school and you have to go in and do a co-op or you have to do some sort of an internship to uh, cut your teeth, I think you are, you're not in a position to demand money. You're in a position to, to gain experience and learn the ways. And you know what? If you put in a, a good effort and if you show that you can uh, do whatever the role is, then yes, then you can start to have a discussion about some sort of financial uh, compensation. But I am a believer in you got to go out and earn your stripes. And there are too many young kids and millennials out there nowadays that just want to, you know, make that six-figure salary, be a president or a CEO right off the hop, and they, they haven't learned from the ground up, grassroots learning. And part of that is is giving up a little bit of time, working in a newsroom, grabbing coffees, whatever the case might be, to be part of the experience. You know, what you just said made me think of that scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where they're talking to Uncle Eddie and uh, and his wife and they mentioned that he's been out of work for seven years and his wife says he's been holding out for a management position. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like that. I agree with you. When I saw this, it kind of made me sad that there are people who think that that is a demeaning thing or that is beneath them. And I agree, if you've got lots of experience I think it's unrealistic that someone would come and say, Mike, you, you've been in sales now for X number of years. I want you to work for free. I don't think that's right. But if you're just coming out of university, it made more challenging, of course, because you probably have a ton of university debt. That, that's, that, that of course, complicates this. But yeah, you, I think if you want to learn, 
you may have to do it for free for a while. You're, you are basically giving your time as a, in exchange, you're bartering your time for the experience that that position can give you so that you can then be ready to go somewhere and make a living. I would say in this day and age, uh, again, because times are so much more different that perhaps between the employer and uh, the, the young adults or through the, the institution that they're maybe graduating from, you maybe get something put in writing so it's a little bit more understood and defined as opposed to, well, this is just going to be a long, drawn-out internship. Um, get something in writing where it's understood that, you know, for the next three months or six months, this is how it's going to be. And almost like a job, you know, after a month or two months, we then sit down and we do a, a bit of a breakdown. What have you learned? We're, so you have some way of understanding if you are growing in your role or not. That No, that I absolutely agree with. And I'll say one other thing because I don't want people thinking that, you know, uh, I also think that if you are a company and you're not a just a startup with literally no money, even if you can't pay a full salary, I think it's probably, not probably, I think it definitely is the onus is on you to find some way to give the person some kind of honorarium or something for their work. Uh, I'm not, I'm not lobbying for companies to be just slurping free labor out of young kids when they come out of school and just keep recycling them. So they don't ever have to pay anybody. I don't mean that, but I think that if you are someone who really is looking to get ahead and learn from professionals and learn how to do your job, because Mike, you know, we started this whole show today by talking about university. And I can assure you, when I came out of university, what I learned in my first job, in the first three months in a newsroom, is more than I learned by 100% than I learned in university in class. You learn by doing, and you're getting something out of that experience. And it's not a, you're not just giving and getting nothing in return. If you're putting any effort in at all, you're getting something out of that experience of volunteering or giving your time. And I truly do believe that majority of companies out there do utilize this and do use it in their best interest. It, it, it's, it's the bad apples out there that have taken advantage of individuals and, and uh, the, the internship that, that has been going on out there. And I agree with you. You can learn more, far more by learning and being part of something, um, sometimes just by utilizing your time it's it's an investment into your career that's how you have to look at it it's not going to be forever and the more driven and determined you are guess what the quicker all of a sudden you're going to be offered a job or given a paycheck or been able to to bounce to somewhere else and take your skills that you've now learned and get a paycheck because at the end of the day you're in control of your own destiny as to where you want to work and what you want to do but what you put into it is is how much you'll get out of it is it too strong to use the word entitled, to say that when I'm right out of school or right out of wherever, I've got my first job and I'm just starting out, that I deserve to be paid a fair salary? Or I, or are we now just being the old guys who now are established in our careers and so we can look at that? I, I, don't, I, I think there is a sense of entitlement that I deserve something because I think you have to earn that first. But I, I'm guaranteeing that there are people listening right now saying, no, it's not entitled. That's reality that you deserve to be paid for what you do. I think there's there's far too much entitlement out there. And there, as I alluded to, I think there's far too many individuals out there who feel that they know it all at such a young age. I've done my schooling. I've done my time. And I want to get paid. That isn't how it works. You So entitlement it's not too strong of a word. I think it's the perfect word. And I have seen it time and time and time again, where these young kids who they're, they're probably, they're wonderful individuals. They've done everything, but they want the big paycheck and they want it quick as opposed to earning their dues like you've done and like I've done. And I think a lot of that, you know, it, it has to be taught in school. And I don't, I don't think it is. N none of that real life stuff is really taught in school from time to time. And I want to go back because this is not just, you know, dumping on people who would say that. I think there is an onus on companies and we know there are companies out there that do this, that just will recycle through intern after intern after intern so they don't have to pay anything. And I think that is a smarmy way to do things too. That, you know, if you have someone come in as an intern 
and they do a terrific job and they work really hard and they put in the effort and that, you know, either hire them or keep find some way to show that what they did is worthy to, to just dump them, say after three months or six months and bring in the next person and then bring in the next person and bring in the next person that, that there is something wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not letting the companies off the hook there. there it goes both ways in this. And, and, and I alluded to that. There are those few bad Apple companies that are out there, but if you are an intern and let's say that is happening after three months, you are, you are then moved on or you're not wanted. Take that three month experience Take that and, and, and utilize that. Build on that and see where you can go from there. Because, listen, we're in a day and age now, Scott, as you know, and I know as well, you're not going to land in a company and be there until you get the golden handshake and, and you walk off into the sunset after 35 years. That isn't how it works. And you have to understand that early on nowadays. And by understanding that and, and having some disappointment and having to jump over some hurdles, guess what? That's life experience, and that will only help you as a, as a young professional getting into a career or potentially pivoting from a career because you did an internship, and you're like, you know what? This isn't what I want to do with my life. Yeah. We've got a few more minutes. Let me just stay with money for a second because one other story we talked about this week on the show was the report that came out this week about the average house price in Hamilton now, which I, I, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw this, because we know we've talked about it over months and years here on the show when, you know, there are big climbs, but average house price in Hamilton now is $872,000, which Mike, I don't know why all of a sudden it just smashed me in the face, but that just seems so unbelievable that our average house price in this city is now closing in on a million bucks. And I got thinking, should we be thrilled about that? Cause it says something about how desirable this city is to live in, or should we be terribly worried about that? Because who can possibly afford that? Well, I, I, I do think it, it, it's all in regards to, you know, there's a bubble. Will it burst? Won't it burst? I, I think things will level out, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, th- things died off a little bit. Listen, Hamilton, there's no doubt. It is a very desirable city to be uh, part of with the parks and the recreation and proximity to so many wonderful things. But if you look across the board, housing prices have gone up drastically. Um, I feel and I fear for the youngsters out there who won't be able to afford a house. I I don't know at what point this this bubble will burst. Listen, you and I are homeowners. I'm, I'm just thankful we're in the market. But remember, if, if you're in the market and you want to move, you, you buy high, you, you sell high, you got to buy high. So it, everything is relative. I look at it that way. Yeah, I, um, I, I just read a piece. It's not just here, to be fair. I, I just read a piece before we came on the show today. I don't know if you know where Renfrew County is. It's up in the Ottawa Valley area, uh, sort of rural Ottawa Valley, a house up there sold for $1.1 million above asking price. (laughs) It's like it is everywhere, but that's the, so, you know, one of the things we talked about was there's big discussions at city council right now about, do we control the urban sprawl? Do we put a stop to it? Do we say you can't go any further because we have to save farmland, which look, that's an important thing. We can't just build on all the farmland around here, but if we do that, the flip side is if we do that, that means, well, the building stock is going to slow down and housing prices theoretically are probably going to go way up even further because everyone's already moving out of Toronto because they can't afford it and they're coming here. I just I just can't imagine where housing prices are going to be in a year from now. I, I, I don't either. You know, to, to your point regarding if, you know, sprawl or, or high density or, or if we build up, you know, one thing that I'm a little more aware of and concerned about is is the climate change and you know we're, we're turning these beautiful lands and all that we're turning them into cement highways and parkways and all this when this land everything that we are digging up is affecting our climate it's affecting the world it's affecting the air we breathe it's affecting how things grow it's affecting everything and you know if we continually dig and put stuff in the ground what is this? It, it, it's, it's a little more concerning to me now than maybe it was five, ten years ago. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But it, it's actually kind of scary. So forget about the prices almost. Think about, think about our climate a little bit as well, if you want to throw that into the mix. 
you know, there's so many, yeah, there's so many parts about this. And uh, I mean, one other thing that you can think about is the, if we have another pandemic, heaven forbid, we have another pandemic. I, I don't, I mean, it took how many years from the Spanish flu for us to really have this one. I mean, the polio, I guess was in that mix too, but I mean, we don't have pandemics all the time, but we keep hearing leaders saying when the next pandemic comes, we've got to prepare for the next one. I don't know if they're just being overly cautious or if we somehow live in a time now when we're more likely to have further pandemics. I'm not sure, but I don't know if people are going to be comfortable if we're now living in a time where we're worried about future pandemics of living in enormous buildings downtown where everyone is boxed in and you can't go anywhere. I mean that, so, you know, this is a, this is an incredibly complex situation that we can say, yeah, just build giant towers downtown and everyone live there. Not everybody wants that. And I know we don't always get what we want, but it is, this is one of the more complicated issues that we're going to be facing over the next little while is what do we do about building in this city? Especially if what, what was the number recently, Mike? I don't know if you saw this, that somehow in the next 25 years or 30 years, we're supposed to be up to 800,000 or 900,000 people in Hamilton. Where are they all yeah. going to be? Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's very scary as to how this is going to happen. And I don't know, maybe municipalities, you, you have to, you have to look at a different way of, you know, maybe maybe you almost have to sign off or get accepted to be into a city. I, I, I truly don't know. Hey, I don't know a how club. it's going to go. The, 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 like the water buffaloes in the Flintstones. You have to do, you have to <laughs> pass a test and you have to do an initiation and wear a special hat to live in Hamilton. Listen, uh, you know, I, we, we can talk about this and yes, it's serious, um, you know, and for my kids and yours and, and grandkids and all that. But at, at some point, I I don't continue to overthink and overstress about this stuff because when I think it gets to that point, we're either going to be in a home in senile or we won't even be here. <laughs> well, we'll still be talking about the LRT though. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, just before I let you go, some great news from today. Just I thought I would mention this. Um, Mackenzie Hughes, local golfer, local PGA Tour pro, made the cut at the Masters. Huge accomplishment. He's in 21st place right now. Uh, going into the weekend, so that is uh, that is big. I mean, the Masters is the event, and if he can somehow climb his way into the top twelve, which is you know it's going to take some work, but if he can do that, he gets an invitation for next year as well. But yeah, if you're tuning on the turning on the TV tomorrow, look for Mackenzie Hughes because this is uh, this is big. I think Corey Connors also made the cut, a Canadian boy. Yep, um, in thirteenth at minus two. Mike Weir did not make it though. Um, and, and, uh, and no, hey, Mike you know Weir, Mike, uh, he first ever Canadian. He, he was the first Canadian to win the Masters, correct, Scotty? Uh, he's the only Canadian to win the, the Masters, Canadian, and I'm yeah. looking. Yeah, he didn't miss the cut by much, to be honest. I thought he did not as well, but he was plus five. The cut was he had to be plus three or better, so he only missed by two strokes. Yeah. Um, but there you go. So be looking for you, Mackenzie. You're on tomorrow. our local Dundas uh, boy. I know you're a big absolutely fan. You got a good relationship with him, so I think that's fantastic news for our area. Very good. Listen, Mike Fortune, always appreciate it. Watch Mike Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at 6 o'clock? 5 p.m., my friend. 5 p.m., sorry. 5 p.m. I didn't know that. I was on the show just not that long ago. Um, I know you were. And I should have known that because it didn't conflict with this show, which is even better. So, yes, 5 p.m. I got the time wrong. I'm I'm on at 6. 5 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, the Hamilton Network on Cable 14, Mike Fortune, Scott Urquhart, and a cast of thousands of Hamiltonians. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Hey, you and your family, stay safe. Talk again soon, Scotty. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.